Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. This is a one-hour special. This is David Swanson speaking with, uh, you may have seen the headlines, Grandmother Drone Resister in Jail for Resisting Drone Murders. Speaking with us from jail, Mary Ann Grady Flores. Mary Ann, welcome. Tell me where, where you are exactly. Well, uh, at the moment I'm sitting in the second tier of Pod 4 at Jamesville County Jail, where it's the Onondaga Correctional Facility. Um, right outside of Syracuse, New York, in upstate New York, or central New York. And, and, and um, I've been here since January 19th to continue my, my sentence. I originally had been sentenced to one year in jail, and then we had an appeal, and now I'm serving six months. So my release date, the formal release date, is May 6th, two days before Mother's Day. So the reason I'm here is because um, I had participated in a few of the drone resistance actions at Hancock Air Base, which is right on the same campus. It's the other side of the same campus as Hancock Airport, which is the Syracuse International Airport. So on the on the back side or on the other side, there are there's an Air National Guard base and. Within the base, the community of resistance here has learned that since 2008 or 9, I don't remember the exact year, but there are computer rooms in there, and there are drones, killer drones, that fire Hellfire missiles that are parked in Afghanistan. The planes, or the drones, they're not planes, they're drones, are parked in Afghanistan and in Pakistan and Yemen and Somalia and some in Iraq. The planes are piloted through computers, through satellite, right out of Hancock Air Base. So technically, we are in a war zone right in in Hancock. And um, so the the community of resistance comes uh, to the gates of the base. And actually, we're not even up at the gate most of the time. Sometimes people do walk up to the the gates, which are all locked unless they want you to come in. And we've tried to hand them a list of war crimes that happens from within the base. War crimes such as extrajudicial killing. Um, and, you know, we pride ourselves on being a nation of laws, international laws and, and constitutional law and laws within our states. And yet we are violating laws and treaties that we've signed on to, including the Geneva Accords and and other international law, which prevents us from doing this violation of sovereignty laws. Um, and, and there's about four or five of them. And at the moment, I'm blanking, so forgive me. Uh, <laughs> well, there, there's, quite a, there, there's quite a dispute, Marianne, I think, as to whether some of these drone murders are war or not war. Uh, but if they're right. war, uh, there's the UN Charter and the Kellogg-Briand Pact and the, <laughs> all of the various right. laws against war. If they're not war, well, they're, they're murder, right? <laughs> that's right, that's right. And so we say... Would we allow this kind of behavior to go on here in the United States? Well, actually, it does happen in poor communities against blacks and against brown people and against immigrants, but not usually found in white neighborhoods. And so we we want to make a very clear parallel in the war on the poor, um, which happens 
you know, right here in Syracuse uh, and right out of Hancock Air Base uh, against brown people in, in other parts of the world and specifically in the Middle East at this moment. Yeah. So what we've learned from the very courageous young men that have come out, the drone pilots, and David, forgive me, I, I've not listened to your show enough to know whether you've already interviewed the drone pilots, the whistleblowers that have come out. Have, have you had a chance to do that yet? Some of them, yes. Okay, so your listeners have probably heard the um, the disaster that their the policy is creating on the ground. You know, the the recruiting to ISIS, and and also the knowledge we have now that just within the last year, 2015, there were over 6,000 people killed by drones. And of those, 90% of them are bystanders. They're not the intended target. And so when you have the family, the Ur-Rahim, is that how you pronounce the family that came from Pakistan? The grandmother was killed picking okra right. with her the, grandchildren. Came to, um, came to Washington. That's right. They were the only drone victims that have ever been heard uh, from by Congress, and only, I think, three or four congressional members came. And uh, thanks to Alan Grayson from Florida, uh, who was the person that invited these folks. And the father of the children that were hit as they stood next to their grandmother in the field, the father explained it, it was his mother that was killed. He said that the U.S. military told him that, um, well, we were after a, a car filled with five terrorists, and the car was on the road, and the, the road was near the house, and that's how we killed your mother. And his answer was, there is no road next to my mother's house, and my mother was not in her house. She was in a field picking okra. So yeah. we are, you know, if, if that's the story that the military is giving for this particular instance, and this is a well-known instance, what are they saying about the rest of the murders that they're committing? And, and so not only do we go to Hancock Air Base on behalf of the victims in, in those foreign lands, but we go there to call the, our young pilots that are going to work every day and being, uh, you know, uh, exposed to PTSD in a very weird way. I mean, weird in the sense that they are being overworked and forced to participate in this kill chain where Obama makes the decisions on Tuesdays, kill Tuesday, we call it, um, and then the orders go out uh, to the different Air Force bases at Creech and Langley and Hancock and um, out at Beale and I mean the list goes on um, there is over let's see there's about 20 bases that are in existence here in the United States now but basically it comes down to our young people having to sit in front of these computers and uh, go along with a program that's called I mean the the actual programming is all a part of the dehumanization of the other. The fact that they call the program bug splat can give you an idea of how twisted um, the whole thing is. The fact that we, you know, are, are forcing our young people to murder in this way is is just it's horrific. And so, 
Yeah. Thank God for these young, courageous men that have come out and said, I can't, I can't get the, the horror out of my soul. I can't, get a, I can't get away from the blood that's on my hands. Um, but you I know it before so they before they came out, you and your allies were going and protesting at these bases, and I think over the past number of years have woken a lot of people up uh, to what's wow. going on, including possibly some of these pilots who've come out. Uh, I know wow. there are organizations like No Drones, KNOW, No Drones, that are that are taking out television ads encouraging pilots That's to right. refuse to fly and to come out as whistleblowers. Um, yeah. but we've and reached... we're so excited to support that effort to help donate and pay for the ads in the areas where there are bases so that the drone pilots can be exposed to the, the message. Come out. Stop the killing. This is, it's brilliant. So we, I encourage people to go to the No Drones, K-N-O-W, no Drones website, nodrones.org, I think it is, um, and link in, and I think they have a GoFundMe button, which we can, you can press, and Nick Modern has been brilliant in, in thinking up these creative ideas of how to help kind of grind or put a, uh, you know, a stopper in the cog, you know, yeah. killing the it, it it seems that a, a lot of people are upset at the outrageousness of comments from Republican candidates like Donald Trump. I'll kill their families. We've got to kill their families. Whereas oh. we're already, we being the United States military against our will and your protest and, and jail time, killing families, primarily killing families. Uh, That's right. And, and so there, there is the possibility that a year from now, the president will be a Republican and millions of people will begin to give a damn all of a sudden. But I am very, very grateful to those of you who have bothered to give a damn while the president was a Democrat, <laughs> because <laughs> it's, it's, it's rare uh, in the United States. But, but can, you, can you explain not just what motivated you to go to the base, but what you did and why you're okay. locked up for it and how that's okay. supposed to be benefiting uh, the good people of New York State. Yes. Well, I, I have to say I'm so appreciative of Bill Moyers and one of his writers who who did a brilliant article. Uh, and it was, I guess, you can go to the Bill Moyers website or the Huffington Post that re reposted the article. I w I've been motivated to come to Hancock, uh, partly because of invitation. And I, I always uh, want to stress that invitation can change a person's life, uh, I, just like inviting these young drone pilots to stop the killing. Um, we invite employees who work at military bases or, or at military contracting companies to, to leave that kind of employment. Um, and look for other employment that would uh, be sustaining of life. So I went to Hancock because there was already an established group of protesters there, including my sisters, uh, Claire and Ellen Grady. And um, I was very moved by uh, being a part of the Hancock 38 and being part of the litany and hearing, witnessing the litany of the names of those that have been killed by drones. And so we did a very simple action back in 2011 uh, where we just laid down in the driveway going up to the gate and 
for about 10 minutes. And then that was our first witness. And then we went back another time. And then we went back on October 25th of 2012. And that's when when we appeared in court right after the action where we had blo- or stood in front of three gates, uh, the front gate and the two side gates. And when we were taken to the court, the little town court of DeWitt, New York, which is just east of Syracuse, the judges started to read right after we got our charges of disorderly conduct and and trespass. We were told that um, we were being read this order of protection. And it's like, an order of protection? On behalf of who? And, And so we were told the colonel of the military base, Earl A. Evans, Wanted to take, wanted to keep us away from the base by taking out a domestic violence uh, stay away order, and but none of us had ever met him. We didn't know what he looked like. We'd never spoken to him. It's domestic because seen. you're American. If you if you were Iraqi, it wouldn't be domestic. What is that? I, I, it's a domestic. Well, and originally, orders of protection had been designed to um, defend or protect. Um, victims of domestic violence, person, male or female. An abused spouse, yeah. Exactly. And so this, we feel, is an abuse of the use of the order, or an improper use of the order of protection. So um, anyway, while we had taken steps, I took steps, I was one of the first three people in Ithaca, of the Ithacans um, who were a part of the Syracuse action. I was one of the first three people to walk into a law office to say, can you please help us fight this? And so, and, and that was significant, because I actually forgot about that initial, um, um, you know, protest to this order of protection. Then, um, my about four months later, on Ash Wednesday, which we've just passed now, Ash Wednesday of 2013, um, there were eight Catholics, because we've had different groupings of people that have gone with different themes, like, um, and so this particular uh, chosen day was Ash Wednesday, so the Catholics of the many Gandhian waves, the Catholics showed up at the front gate, and so there was a couple of priests, there was Linda Latendra, who uh, calls herself a Catholic, a Quaker Catholic, mm-hmm. <laughs> and a couple of other folks, including my sister Ellen, uh, there were four people at the roadway when you're driving in, and then four people driving out, or, you know, at the side of the, leaving the entrance of it, out near the intersection of the light on the East Malloy Road. So, you know where the white line is where you pull up to a stop sign? Sure. You know, as many, or stop sign, or at any intersection. So all the protesters were out beyond the white line in the crosswalk. And then, because it was Ash Wednesday, they had symbolically sprinkled a line of ashes in front of them. And then, beyond the ashes, I had come across the street. Uh, Like I said, we were out in in the public walkway, and I was taking photos of the eight Catholics. The eight Catholics, by the way, when they went to trial, were all acquitted because what they talked about in the disorderly conduct charges, there's a part about intent, that they intended to annoy 
harm or alarm the public. Well, it turns out that they were able to talk to their, about their intent, and their intent was to uphold law, to go there and speak about um, the war crimes that are going on inside the base. And also, t- because it was Ash Wednesday, it's a day that we begin the 40 days towards Easter. It's a day where we reflect um, and we ask for uh, forgiveness. So they carried signs with the photos of the babies and the children and, and elders who had been killed. And so for killing the children, God forgive us. You know, for maiming the children, God forgive us, was what was being held. I took the photos of those photos. I took the photos of the protesters holding the photos. And before everybody was arrested, I had long ago left... Sorry, there's a guard yelling in the background here. That's okay. Um, So I left the scene, I crossed the street back over, and I had told everybody my intent, (laughs) which I didn't really get to talk about. I did some during my trial, but I didn't get to speak about it, I feel, enough or at least the way the judge... Anyway, the bottom line is I'd left the area long before there was any arrest. You know, usually the police say, all right, you've got two minutes to get up and leave before we arrest you. I was gone about ten minutes before that happened. And later, during my trial, the police video showed that, that I had left and I had crossed the street and I was walking down the road towards the diner because I wanted to go get some coffee and go to the bathroom before my intention was to be a support person. And I had told the priest and the others that I was not going to be a part of the group because I had what I considered an improperly uh, assigned order of protection. I was going to deal with it in the court, but I was not going to violate it by walking onto the base property. I thought I was out in the public property by walking in the public crosswalk area. So, P.S., the the eight were being taken away, one person per squad car, and then they came down the road and picked me up. And I said, why? And I was also getting Ellen's cell phone, her, her iPhone, to give it to me so that she wouldn't have it when she was taken by the police. So, anyway, by that evening in the courtroom, I was being taken away in, in shackles and being told I had to post $2,500 bail, um, Mark Carver, one of our co-defendants, stood up and he said, Judge, where is the base boundary? And the judge said, the double yellow line in the middle of the road. Well, I happen to be a kid from the Bronx. I grew up in a building in the city. I've never heard of a property line going out to there. Since my trial, or since this whole action, and this, you know, it's been three years now since I was arrested, um, I've learned that some very few people know about that property line going out the middle, the middle of the road. Most people that I've met don't know about it. So it's, and and I know they say, well, you can't claim uh, innocence uh, just because you don't know something, doesn't it? So anyway. But my intent was not to violate this thing. And so when I went to trial, um, the jury handed a question into the judge, which was, what does stay away mean? Now, the judge had told me 
and told my co-defendants that stay away means not to be on the base property. We could be in the roadway, but we couldn't be in the base property. Well, P.S., those eight protesters that day were all acquitted. And then we had another trial uh, from the previous action where I did participate, where we blockaded the three gates. And we were acquitted on the trespass charge because the police didn't even know. Nine out of the ten police personnel did not know where the base boundary was. Um, okay. And yet my jury, my jury was not allowed to hear that. But but and even either, if even if we just concede that you know everyone should know that they have this bizarre line for where the boundary of the base is, why should we concede that uh, an Air Force colonel surrounded by uh, a large contingent of heavily armed uh, members of the U.S. military and an enormous wall of a base that no one has ever penetrated or threatened to or shown any capacity right. for is is endangered as an abused spouse uh, right. by a, a, an explicitly nonviolent grandmother uh, mistakenly <laughs> uh, being across the middle of the road. I mean, is is this oh, guy, it's bizarre. was he, is he traumatized? Is he, you know. So here, here's the thing. In order to get an order of protection, you have to be a witness or a victim. And we claim that he's neither. First of all, he, he wasn't even out there when we were arrested the first time. And maybe he came out in subsequent actions, but he didn't witness me. And he wouldn't even have, he even said it in my trial. No, I don't know Marianne Grady. I've never had a conversation with her. I'm not afraid of her. That's just a piece of paper. And not and not a single one of you knew him or could recognize him if he exactly. walked up and bit you, well, right? The significant thing that he said was, that's just a piece of paper. I just want those protesters away from my base. So you, the, the appeal that's going in now for the second time, the second level, or actually not the second level, my team of attorneys is taking this case because it's not just on my behalf. This appeal is going on behalf of the 50 people that have been given orders of protection, which blocks our First Amendment right to ask our government to redress the grievances, specifically to end the drone protest, uh, the drone killing from inside Hancock Air Base. So, I, I think you should offer him. I, I think you should offer this Colonel free therapeutic help uh, from <laughs> therapists who have helped the you know the victims traumatized by the buzzing of the drones. Uh, oh, absolutely. Well, it's so beautiful. The different witnesses have been extremely creative. And our friends Mark Carville, uh, Colville, sorry, not Carver, Mark Colville of the Hartford, no, it's not Hartford, excuse me, the New Haven Catholic Worker and two Yale Divinity students took the People's Order of Protection on behalf of the drone victims to the base. And then we also had a drone victim family member, Raz Mohammed, um, from Afghanistan, sent an order of protection to the base saying, we need this. My brother was killed by a drone. Good. And this is traumatizing my family. And um, so there's been really incredible stuff going on, both in the court, where I've learned a tremendous amount. I'm, I'm not an attorney. I never even finished college, but I've I've learned how to even take a stab at, at uh, 
you know, defending myself and learning about these laws, the linkages, there's a link, David, between the local statute all the way up to the international law. And the link goes very specifically, it's tied at the federal level in a, a set of laws uh, and treaties that we find called the Federal Rules Decision. And we were able to trace that with the help of a uh, professor um, from Urbana-Champaign, uh, Francis Boyle. And he did a, a brilliant thing. Judge Gideon, who was the judge that sentenced me to the year in jail, he, he said I was, you know, what's the word? Uh, I can't remember what he said to me, but it, it was, you know, that I, I was just uh, flaunting myself at the law and I didn't care about the order and all of this nonsense. I mean, I, I disagree with it, but I was not there to, to um, be flagrantly violating it. Number one is I'm, I was one of my siblings taking care of my mother, who is now 88. And as a matter of fact, David, I need to let you in on something. Just this Friday, I was called into the main administration building here at the jail I've been trying to find out about the process to have a deathbed visit with mom. And they surprised me and gave me a ride back to Ithaca to see my mother, who was in the hospital bed. And uh, boy, was that a sweet moment. Yeah. I don't know whether I'll see her before she passes, because she is near the end. She's not eating, you know, but a, a sip of milk and, and maybe a sip of water, and but really... She's near the end, and uh, I was I was very grateful. Uh, there was a very special woman guard that was with me. Um, but you know that your mother supports what you're doing. This is the, the kind of family support you have, right? That's that's right. My my mom did this kind of stuff herself with my father, so I feel. First of all, I want to also say that I feel carried by Grace as I came in here because she was more fragile than she even is at this moment. The month ago, she was more sick with another infection, and um, now she's just very run down and, and uh, you know, just taking the bumpy ride down. But um, my sister, Teresa, was able to show her the the video of my interview on Democracy Now! and she was just very happy about it, you know, about my saying why I'm here, why am I in jail. And so there's a team of attorneys that are appealing this now, this uh, improper application of the orders. They're taking it a second time now to the New York State Court of Appeals, which is the highest court in New York State. And um, they put the appeal in and it turns out I might, we don't know, there's no guarantees, I might get out on bail while the court decides whether to take the case. The New York State Court of Appeals is much like the Supreme Court in that it gives, um, it has a choice of whether to take the case or not. And because of the fact that there are different courts coming up with different decisions, this is the kind of case that they most likely would take. But if they don't, I may be out of jail for a month, and then I'd have to get to come back in and finish the sentence. 
until we find another court. As a matter of fact, there is talk that this there is the team of attorneys would bring this to the U.S. Um, US Supreme Court. So I'm I'm heartened by that, but I'm also a little shy about that because of what happens when a conservative court gets a hold of things like this and then they put things into law. You know, they make decisions that are like cement. Um, and so... Until the until the court changes, and at this point, the U.S. Supreme right. Court effectively doesn't exist. So uh, yeah. that that's gonna, you know, they're not gonna exist perhaps uh, until your sentence is over. Um, yeah, we'll see. Well, it's funny because I have about sixty nine days left, and it does. I just finished writing another letter, which will go out probably tomorrow night, Monday. Um, you know, and I described how much energy it took to get myself psychologically prepared to get in here and and to get settled in and, you know just learn uh the ropes of living in jail um i'm living in a pod with 60 women and i am the old lady on the pod <laughs> and they don't let me forget that but i have very kind young women among me you know or i am among them i should say it that way um, and sometimes the noise gets to be a lot for my old self. Uh, it's like living inside a high school cafeteria with the tile walls, you know, yeah. so it's very loud. And, um, once in a while I get to walk over to the administration building and it's like walking through a, a campus where you walk from one building to the other. Yeah. And then you get a taste of the quiet. Um, we do have uh, a little yard next to our building. There's 10 pods here. And I did ask one of the officers, how many people are in jail here? And You know, what's the total population? Oh, that's, that's a security question. We can't answer that. <laughs> so, but if there's, if there's uh, 60 women here, and I know that there's a gymnasium filled with the men, the men as the overflow, and there's 10 pods, I would guesstimate between 600 and 800 or even 1,000 people here at this county jail. And we receive the overflow from the downtown jail, which they call the Justice Center, which is a misnomer. Because it's more crowded. Time. Well, not just that. It's, um, it's, there's, it's a hellhole in many ways. Um, so, I mean, I, I have to count my blessings in some ways that this jail is rather easy compared to other places. My room is warm. I have a, a very nice young woman that bunks with me. Thank God I've been given the bottom bunk. <laughs> but that bottom bunk is where I have to do my writing and reading. There's no chair. So I sit on this bunk that's just a little shy too short for me. Um, we have pretty crappy food, which... Some people, it doesn't agree with the, the women. Um, and then there's, it's an amazing process to see the um, profit-making from the commissary. And every jail is its own institution of making money. Um, you know, we're, the last meal that we are fed is at 4.30 in the afternoon. And if you don't have commissary money, you go to bed hungry. Uh, we're not allowed to bring anything into the room called contraband if you bring a piece of bread or your little 
thing of milk, which we only get maybe twice a week. Um, Is it a private company? Uh, you know, I would imagine the commissary company is a private company. The jail itself is a county-run jail. And I've learned that the workers, the guards and, and all, have not had a contract for four years because of one of the county legislators. Um, I won't name names on this show, but anyway. Um, and I I also have, because I've, rent, I've been a owner of my own company, my own catering company, I understand what administration means um, and what it means to move a ship forward with big operations. And I see how hard the guards are, you know, what the expectations of them is, too. And it's too, it's a lot. It is a lot. And um, it's understandable that they are in the, the moods that they're in many times. And I hear over the loudspeaker, which comes day and night throughout our echoey chambers here, that there's always a plea for the workers to stay longer, to fill in another shift, because they don't have enough people here. Um, but, you know, they have to do the rounds of counting us all, like every 15 minutes, every half hour. And there's certain times of the day where it's more frequent. Um, but imagine, David, being in your bedroom and then having the police, you know, the police walkie-talkies that you see at an accident scene where there's, you know, those little chirps and yep. beeps. So imagine that noise going into your bedroom every 15 minutes in the night. Or on top of that, there's a sweep of halogen flashlight piercing through your eyelids, waking you up. Right. So that's what I live with, and I live and sleep on what I call the sandbag. It's hard as a rock. Um, and it took me a couple of weeks to finally settle in and, and fall asleep and actually have some dreams, you know. But yeah. I, I've accommodated. Um, I've figured out. Um, I go to bed looking very funny. <laughs> I put tissue papers in my ears because we, we cannot. When we walk in this jail, two things happen. One is that you leave all your clothes and they get put into these personal bags and they get labeled. So you, you leave everything that is yours and you check out your logic because <laughs> there's so many things that are just not logical. You check that out at the door. Yeah. Things are arbitrary. Um, so we um, were given, you know, the company store, we call them bobos, the little sneakers, and we're given some tube socks, two pairs of pants, two of these brown... Uh, pullover things, and but no T-shirt, um, no thermals, no sweatshirts. You have to get all of those things with your family's help. And if you don't have the help, which many of the women don't have, because this is an issue of, you know, used uh, against the poor, you've got people that are starving here or that are cold. I happen to live in the upstairs tier, so the heat rises, and so my room is warm. But I was in a room downstairs where I, I was in my own room. I had a, a desk at the end of my bed, and that, I felt it was luxury. But it was cold in that room. Um, but then I found out that I'm bunkable. And I said, what does that mean? And they said, well, you, you haven't beaten anybody up. <laughs> so 
I uh, I had to get moved in with somebody else. Um, so anyway. I don't know if but, you saw, Mary, that uh, uh, a Black Lives Matter activist recently disrupted a Hillary Clinton uh, very posh fundraiser event to complain about her support and her husband's support back in the 90s for legislation that they created this incredible increase in mass incarceration. Uh, oh, it it seems uh, it, it seems to be... Uh, an issue that you can force into the conversation. Nobody has, you know, to my knowledge, disrupted a single one of these candidates' support for drone murders, uh, wow. and every wow. right. single one of them supports it. Uh, there have been articles about, you know, top uh, Bernie Sanders activists, the head of his online uh, social media operations, you know, supporting him because they want to end drone murders, even as... Senator Sanders is out there publicly saying he will keep on killing people with drones. Uh, yeah. So make logic yeah. out of that uh, from right. <laughs> behind bars or outside. You can't do it. But uh, yeah. it, it does seem that we might get around to tackling this, this mass incarceration problem. Yes. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, David, because I hope to get another letter out this week speaking about the conditions of the jail. And, uh, you know, just what, what is life like within the, in the place here? Good, um, good. Yeah. And then the, the other letter that I want to do is on the drone pilots and on the drones. Um, and also to help promote uh, Nick Modern's website and this effort to get the uh, advertisements going on and, you know, going in the different drone-based communities, you know, to pay for that. We need people's support on that. So please go to nodrones.org and help Nick's efforts. I mean, it's not just Nick. There's many people uh, working on this campaign. Um, Indeed. But also there's wonderful things. I just got a... I've been getting wonderful letters from people. Um, and if folks are interested in writing to me um, or even writing to any of my inmates or my co-inmates, uh, you can send letters to um, the, what is it called? Let's see. Well, my inmate number is 1200-1966. Marianne Grady Flores. Uh, on Well, you can go to the Upstate Drone Action website and all the information is there. But it's uh, P.O. Box 143, Jamesville, New York, 13078. Um, but I, what I wanted to say is that... Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of room for for work on for the dismantling of the you know incarceration nation and work more towards restorative justice and that's a model that we need to put some energy into um, something that I think is sorely lacking in this in this whole country I think what Angela Davis has been doing and also um, help me David. Names are escaping me, especially at this late hour. <laughs> <laughs> Whose name are you looking for? Uh, for the new Jim Crow, Alexander. M Michelle uh, Alexander. Michelle. Michelle's work, yeah. Well, um, well, we appreciate you uh, taking this much time late at night, and I will post at warisacrime.org any letters that we get from you and, uh, okay. and uh, tell people to send you letters in return, and I'll post your address and... Uh, 
we, I just we, did want to say that it's hard to write back to many people. I've had a couple of hundred letters come in here within six weeks, and it's, it's overwhelming, the waves of love. But it has, it has given the prison authorities a heads up. And I even told the guard that was taking me in, and the transport guard, when I was sitting in the holding cell, you know, after, the, after being remanded, I said, do you know that you're famous? And he goes, what are you talking about? I said, do you do Facebook? And he says, no. I said, well, you're in a meme. And I said, I never knew what a meme was. But did you see that meme, David? Are you on Facebook? Uh, I am sometimes, but I don't know what you're referring to, I don't think. Well, there was a, a meme that went around. You know Jim Miller from Brave New Films? Yes. Put the meme together. And by the way, for the listeners, uh, the film Unmanned, dot, dot, America's Throne Wars, and also The War on Whistleblowers are two magnificent films by Jim Miller. And so he runs a company, Brave New Films, which does a lot of um, work on Facebook. And... So they put together a meme where, and a meme means you have one photo on top and another one below, and then a quote. So the top, the quote under a photo of me being taken away by this guard was grandma, you know, being sent to jail for protesting drones, six months in jail. And then he put the photo of the guys out in, in Oregon who took over the bird sanctuary, the federal lands with their guns. Yes. And then it says, government response, no problem. Right. And then underneath it said, call Governor Cuomo to pardon Marianne. Well, we hadn't had a chance to talk to Jim. And so we're not asking for a pardon. But that was a great gesture. And it actually went, that particular meme went far and wide. Um, I do recall seeing so, that. That was some weeks back now. Yes. And so we're 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 going to call Jim and and tell him because there's a few other petitions that we want to get out and and we need some creativity on this. Like uh, we have a, a legislator, um, a new piece of legislation that's being that has been written up, drawn up by John, Attorney Jonathan Wallace, who's been winning a lot of the cases up here at the Hancock Airbase. So the the uh, legislation reads that no military personnel and no fracking company or corporate uh, company leaders and that uh, can use these orders of protection. It turns out that the fractivists have been given slapped with these stay-away orders as well. And so, Jonathan, the, the purpose of the legislation is to do away with the improper use of this. So we want to get a petition together and we have an idea to invite one of our assembly people to propose this in the New York State Assembly so that it won't be used improperly in New York State. And it may be something that others can look at as a model to use in their state. I hear that this is happening down in D.C. at the Capitol, that the stay-away orders are being given to protesters there, too. Oh, I've Um, been banned from Capitol Hill for periods like six months for having spoken in a committee hearing. I mean, that's standard 
practice and, and you need a you need an ex, a, a written invitation from a member of congress for example to you know to go to capitol hill during during that period wow. of time you're just you know yeah. it's a, it's openly uh, a means of suppressing the rights of of speech and assembly and petitioning right. the government i mean that's that's what it's for uh, it's not right. as if the congress members were traumatized like battered wives they you know they just yeah. don't want uh, they don't want to hear anything outside of their purview. Yeah. yeah. So if you look at New York State Constitution, the First Amendment within the New York State Constitution speaks even more strongly about the freedom of speech, that it may not be suppressed. Yeah. And so if you, I invite people to go look at that document. I'm so grateful for all the people that, are, that have been writing and informing me through letters and through things. The ironic thing is I'm not allowed to have more than 20 pieces of correspondence in my room at any one time, and yet some days I get 20 letters, you know. Um, I just wanted to go back to one thing about the courts and the decisions that have been made in relation to my case. So not only was my jury not allowed to hear about my sister and the eight Catholics being acquitted, they couldn't hear that, and they were not allowed to hear about the nine out of ten policemen not knowing where the boundaries were, they were also not allowed to hear about another court case of one of our co-defendants, Dan Finley. His appeal was brought to the county court level, and Justice Brunetti ruled that the order protection is vague. It's not valid, because it doesn't delineate how close or far we have to be from the colonel or the base or any of it. And uh, and so this is part of why the need for clarification is being brought, you know, uh, hopefully will be looked at by the New York State Court of Appeals. So, you know, when the, ju- when the, the judge was given the question, what does stay away mean, he, he wrote back to them and he said, I don't know, uh, you are the triers of fact. So he never gave them the information that he told us defendants. You may stay in the roadway, but not on the base. And then um, they had to just figure out what stay away meant on their own, and yet they were not given the parameters. He had even tried to call Albany to find out from his uh, superiors. But yeah. anyway, so that's, that's how I ended up being found guilty. Um, you know, the, the truth wasn't fully heard in the courtroom. And the, the reason that was given was because the trial of the Ash Wednesday group happened after I was arrested. The trial of my co-peer, you know, my peers um, from the Hancock 17 from the previous four months before, that trial happened after my action. And then the appeal for Dan Finley happened after the action. And so none of it was before the action. And, And so legally they say that it was up to the discretion of the judge, and he suppressed it. You know, the prosecution didn't want it heard, and neither did the judge. So, yeah. so um, I'm in here. Um, I'm very grateful for all the media attention that's been given, and I, I do want to say that there's certain people that are responsible for pushing it out, especially among the alternative media, and I'm very grateful to them. Um, and Bill Moyers and Amy Goodman and others. So 
Common Dreams, uh, Lisa Graves from Alec Exposed, and um, Truth Out, Huffington Post. It, I am just, and I'm here, and I'm not even seeing it all. I'm, I've, he- I've heard that it goes into places that you wouldn't expect, and I don't know what those are. So <laughs> I don't have access to a computer. But I do have friends that are put, putting my letters out on my listserv, so... Um, Anyway. Well, well, let well, me just say that many, many people are grateful to you for doing this uh, and to everyone who's been doing this at bases around the country. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and we could use many, many more people willing to be found guilty uh, of such things. Uh, the, yeah. the, the country would benefit. Well, I, you know, can I add one more thing? And, and please do edit this if you need. Our... So I got a letter from a young woman. Sequoia Cohen, who is doing amazing organizing out at Sierra Nevada. I work very closely with her father every day. Yes, yes. So Sierra wrote to me talking about a course that she took on death and dying and how she was shocked that her fellow students had not heard about drone killings. And it just goes to a point that I've been saying, you know, if Americans knew the details, and so many of us are not into detail, if we knew that 90% of the people that are killed by drones are bystanders and children and, you know, others, we'd say, forget about it. This is a waste of our money. And the fact that it is the prime reason, or one of the major reasons, that we have this massive recruitment into ISIS. It's because of this program, um, if people knew that. Anyway, yeah. back to Sequoia. She's, um, did I say Sequoia to begin with? You did. Okay. So Sequoia is organizing a drone uh, conference, inviting two of the, of the drone pilots, Sean uh, Westmoreland and then Stephen Lewis. Uh, they'll be speaking at the college, and then a group of the folks will be going to the shutdown Creech action soon afterwards, right in, in Nevada, yeah. right outside of Las Vegas. Yeah, Sean was not. So, well, Sean was on this program and was not technically a pilot, but was someone uh, oh, that, I- involved in the operation and feels right. the same sense Getting of up. responsibility for it. Um, yeah, but I, I'm I, so impressed with his uh, writings on the Project Red Hand. His indeed. Blogging. Yes. So powerful. He, he has uh, thought very carefully about this after the fact. Uh, if we can get young people to think carefully about it before they sign away eight years of their lives, we'll be, we'll be better off. But I, I, I think that you are absolutely right, uh, that if people knew who dies from the drones, uh, it would radically change and, and has been radically changing the perception of, of many people because they fantasize that it's different from an evil weapon like chemical weapons. Chemical weapons yeah. are indiscriminate. They just indiscriminately kill men, women, and children, whoever gets in the way of the, of the chemicals. Well, there is absolutely no 
distinction empirically. If you look at who dies from the drones, most of the people are innocent by every definition, and most of the rest of the people have been targeted without so much as knowing their name. Uh, and, right. and they lie about it, and they define people as militants because they might have been male and of fighting age, uh, or they were wearing right. the wrong kind of clothing. You know, but it, or it is carrying the wrong cell phone. In, in, indeed, yeah, targeting yeah. people without, again, without knowing their name, just knowing a cell phone, uh, which, you know, may or may not be targeting someone they wanted to target for whatever that's worth. Uh, it's, right. It is indiscriminate, um, and this is what the drone pilots talk about. It's not just they're having killed uh, this person who could easily have been arrested and charged and tried in a court killing them, but killing their children and their cousins and whoever was nearby. Uh, yeah. it, it is uh, it is evil uh, and uh, many. Yeah, so I. Oh, go ahead. Well, well I, I I just think that many people have begun to learn this already because of uh, what people like you have been doing. Yeah. Well, it, it's shocking to hear that the U.S. military, or the Air Force, is planning to open 110 bases around the country. We have 20 that are going now, but 110, for what? And why are they flying drones out of Hancock Airport, right off of the, you know, the public uh, runway? Why? And the Reaper drones, and by the way, folks, these Reaper Reaper drones and the Predator drones cost about $17 million each, and over 100 of them have fallen out of the sky, 100 Reapers. And then a hundred predators have just fallen out of the sky because the electronic system doesn't work. And, and fallen into the hands of so-called evil enemies like the Iranians, who now have uh, the exact. Oh yeah. Uh, well, the hundreds that I speak of are one hundred that have fallen in the United States. I'm not talking about the ones that have fallen into the hands there. Yeah. That's a whole other, whole other ball game. But, um, and a new drone base uh, we learned about this week in Central Africa. Oh, my God. What? Which country? In the Congo? No, not that central. Uh, I okay. should know. The article, if you can get to it or I can get to it, uh, is, is at The yeah. Intercept. But uh, Oh, okay. Yeah, somebody would need to send me a hard copy because I don't have access to that. Okay, we'll, um, we'll work on that. I've been grateful. Yeah, wow. Well, David, this has been wonderful. What time is it now? Do you know? It is quarter to 10 p.m. Eastern time, and uh, oh. and I, I think uh, we have taken more of your time than we should have, and I oh, should uh, stop. Oh, you're fine. No, it's uh, been great. I, I, I should... And I hope you do chop this one up wherever you need to. <laughs> well, I'll, I will stop the recording, so, so thank you very much for this. You're welcome, David. It was a pleasure real honor to be on your show and I'm grateful for your listeners. We've been speaking with Marianne Grady Flores and to learn more about her actions and those of others in upstate New York around Hancock Air Base, go to upstatedroneaction.org. To learn more about the campaign we discussed of purchasing ads in cities with drone bases, encouraging drone pilots to refuse orders to kill, go to no drone. That's K-N-O-W drones.org. 
Also go to my website, warisacrime.org, and click on the section about drones for a steady flow of updates and reports on protest actions around the United States and elsewhere, and to sign a petition urging international bodies and nations to ban weaponized drones, go to banweaponizeddrones.org. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.